Thank you very much. I would like to take this opportunity to appeal to the honor students who will surely be future leaders in this country to join me and others in a crusade to promote interracial unity and thereby overcome the racial divisions that are plaguing this country. Our nation's recent response to racial discord has been disappointing. Indeed, we have tended to engage in the kind of rhetoric that exacerbates rather than alleviates racial tension. Ever since the 1992 Los Angeles riot, the media has focused heavily on the factors that divide rather than those that unite racial groups. Emphasis on racial division peaked in 1995 following the different the, following the, the jury's verdict in the first O.J. Simpson murder trial. The racial divide, as depicted in the media, seemed as wide as ever. The extent of the racial division in this country should not be minimized. The dramatically different reactions to the first Simpson trial and the verdict reflect in part the fundamentally dissimilar racial experiences of blacks and whites in America. Blacks burdened by racial injustice, whites largely free of the effects of bigotry and hatred. Nonetheless, I want you to know and appreciate that the emphasis on racial differences has obscured the fact that African Americans, whites, Latinos, and other ethnic groups share many common concerns, are beset by many common problems, and have many common values, aspirations, and hopes. Discussions about race in America that emphasize common solutions to commonly shared problems promote a sense of unity, regardless of the degree of severity to which these problems afflict certain groups. Such messages bring races together, not apart, and are especially important during periods of racial tension. However, in comparison with the rhetoric highlighting racial divisions, messages promoting interracial unity have been infrequent and are generally ignored in the media. It is important to recognize that racial antagonisms grow out of economic, political, and social situations. In a 1992 op-ed article in the New York Times, I use this argument to point out why it is important for political leaders to channel the frustrations of average citizens in positive or constructive directions during periods of economic duress. I discuss the 1992 political campaign of President Bill Clinton, who not only explicitly acknowledged the racial tensions in America, the growing racial tensions, and the need for political leadership to unite and not divide the races, but who had actually developed a public rhetoric that reflected these concerns. This campaign rhetoric warned Americans against the distraction of pitting race against race. It, it urged citizens to associate their declining real incomes, increasing job insecurity, and their growing pessimism with the complex but real sources of these problems. I pointed out 
that the use of this positive public rhetoric during a period of intense racial tension enabled Clinton to bring together antagonistic racial groups to form an effective coalition in the primary elections, even in Louisiana, where a majority of white voters supported the former Klansman David Duke in the 1991 gubernatorial election. Unfortunately, the media preoccupied with allegations surrounding Mr. Clinton's personal life failed to record the significance of this event. A vision of interracial unity that acknowledges distinctively racial problems but nonetheless emphasizes common solutions to common problems is more important now than ever. Such a vision should be developed, shared, and promoted by all leaders in this country, but especially by political leaders. I have in mind a vision that promotes values of racial and intergroup harmony and unity and that rejects the commonly held view that whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, and other ethnic groups cannot work together in a common cause. This vision recognizes that if a political message is tailored to a white audience, racial minorities draw back just as whites draw back when a message is tailored to minority audiences. The foundation of this vision emphasizes issues and programs that concern families of all racial and ethnic groups so that individuals in these groups will come to see their mutual interests and join in a multiracial coalition to move America forward. This vision promotes the idea that Americans have common interests and concerns that cross racial and class boundaries, such as unemployment and job security, declining real wages, escalating medical and housing costs, the scarcity of quality child care programs, the decline in the quality of public education, and the toll of crime and drug trafficking in their neighborhoods. This vision encourages Americans to see that the application of programs to combat these problems would benefit everyone, not just the truly disadvantaged. To recognize that the division between the suburbs and the central city is partly a racial one and that it is vitally important to emphasize city-suburban cooperation, not separation. And finally, to endorse the idea that all groups in America should be able to achieve full membership in society because of problems of group economic and social marginality spring from inequities in society at large and not from group deficiencies. I believe that this vision, supported by a public rhetoric of interracial unity, is an essential first step in addressing the problems of race in America. I would therefore welcome your support in our efforts to promote it. Thank you very much. My name is Tracy Appleton. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And, sir, I wanted to ask you, um, this probably is going to have to be cut much shorter than it should be, but as far as handling problems with inner-city schools, particularly with uh, the New York system, where the population inside the inner-city schools is doubling so quickly um, and so many kids are overcrowding the classrooms, what do you think could possibly be done about that? I mean, even begin to be done? Well, first of all, I really believe that we have to have a commitment to national performance standards, and we should make sure that every school in America, including every inner city school, meets these standards, and that we would target those schools that are not meeting these standards to make sure that they meet them. We would make sure that they have the resources that are necessary, including capable teachers, not just pouring money in these schools, but giving these schools the, the kind of attention they need to enhance the education of these children. 
but we have to have a national measure so that we can make sure these schools are performing. My name is Brian Hauck, and I'm from Germany, kind of. I'm American. Anyway, um, I don't know anyone that would uh, disagree with what you've said. And well, I there sure, are a lot of people who would. Well, I, I, I apologize. Anyone, anyone in, enlightened who, who, who isn't racist <laughs> would disagree with what you said. I have a question on how would you, would you agree that we should take race off of job applications, college applications, and just everyone mark other? Or would you agree that affirmative action is more the way to go to solve these problems? I think um, you have to recognize that a history of discrimination, race prejudice, and so on, have created situations where some people, even if you remove all racial barriers, are going to be in a difficult position because of the cumulative effects of racial oppression. I think we have to t uh, keep that in mind. So what we want to do is we want to use flexible criteria of evaluation, not numerical guidelines and quotas, flexible criteria of evaluation so that we make sure that we are measuring potential to succeed and not privilege. If we use a standard criteria for admissions to college, for example, SAT scores, even middle-class blacks invariably score lower on these scores than middle-class whites because of the cumulative effects of race, the effects of living in segregated neighborhoods over time and attending segregated schools and also having parents who who don't have the same resources to pass on to their children because they've also been affected by racial experiences. So you want to use flexible criteria of evaluation. And in order to do that, you have to identify the race of the applicant. So instead of relying solely on SAT scores, you look for such things as creativity and perseverance and leadership skills and these kinds of things. And you give me a kid from the inner city ghetto who displays these skills and a kid from white suburbia who does not, but scores higher on the SAT scores, I'll take the kid from the inner city every time and predict success. So that's what I'm saying, is that we need to continue with affirmative action programs, but the kind of program that I would emphasize would be one that, not, that does not focus on numerical guidelines and quotas, but flexible criteria of evaluation so that we can make sure we are measuring potential to succeed. 